Just one second. All right, so chapter 13, elitism, pharisaism. So this one's probably one of my Achilles heels, right? <laughs> I, I think that uh, all of us that um, experience this in, in some shape or form or another as we are starting to, to wake up to the signs of the times, and sometimes we uh, have this little test of uh or or pitfall where we sometimes think oh well i've woken up and you haven't woken up so obviously i'm better than you kind of thing not to to that extent but uh i think that that is a a common uh test that that comes along the way right so um the very last uh paragraph there it says in god's day of judgment uh let's see that will then be upon them, they will suffer the fate of all hypocrites, cutting them off from his people. God will cast them into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I want to avoid that at all costs, right? <laughs> so how do you guys find that you're able to uh, check yourself, recognize it in yourself, and uh, not let it uh, grow and fester and uh, kind of nip it in the bud? Um, how do you um, navigate that in uh, your your own journeys and, and the journeys that you see in, in people around you. Or my one with the problem. <laughs> I sometimes just have to go silent and just be quiet <laughs> because people don't want to hear it. They just, I mean, they've woken up a tiny bit, but. They don't believe how deeply entrenched we are in Babylon. And, you know, when you try to tell them some of the things you know, they're like, oh, that's too scary. <laughs> <laughs> and no, it can't be that bad. So I just have learned to kind of stay quiet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, the second paragraph here is an interesting one. Uh, it says that the they harbor a presumptuousness about being a chosen and elect people. They consider their humble brethren, a lost and fallen people, to be despised and lesser mortals. Uh, so we have like the, the John reference there. Uh, an easy one that comes to mind is like Ramyumptum stuff from the, the Book of Mormon, right? Um, and so how can we, how can our prayers still focus on our covenantal blessings and showing gratitude for how much the Lord has blessed us with without getting to that uh, presumptuousness level um, where we can be in danger of getting a little bit prideful, getting a little bit uh, elite in, in that kind of a respect. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like last night I was talking to my mom and, and she woke up, like I've, I've talked to her about all this stuff like so many times that I, I quit quite a while ago. I quit. And then she just mentioned something that had happened that she heard in the news. And I'm like, and I didn't say, nanny, nanny, I told you so or anything. I just sat and listened to her because she's processing it on her, her timeline. Yeah. And just supported her that way. And that worked really well. Um, 
I think that's what most of us have to do is come to everything in our time, you know? Yeah, I like that thought of, be, of timelines that everyone has a different. Yeah, everybody has a different one and just be, let's be super patient because you just want to shake them and like wake them up and <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Uh, I've tried and failed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good comment because um, we all have people in our lives that we are probably praying for and concerned for. And I think what helps me is to remind myself how the Savior teaches people. He meets them where they are. And sometimes he just tells them stories or parables that they can relate to because there are things that they of their known world and kind of where they are like he would talk about sowers and things that people could actually identify with which I think is part of meeting people where they are and the patience that we practice uh, also to just remember to be humble ourselves just think of where we how our journey where we've come and how everything we have is a gift. Every good thing we have is a gift from the Lord. And how easy, how easily we can, you know, just just fasting reminds us of how frail we are. <laughs> there's not a, you know, when I think about it, there's not a lot to get puffed up about and prideful about. We're all very vulnerable. We depend on him for every good thing. I'm very hopeful. I saw a little video this morning from Morgan's group. It was, it's called the Glines Ward. And I think that might be in Vernal because that's the word I used to be in when I was a kid. But it was a stake president and he had been with like 20 Area 70s and D. Todd Christofferson. And he testified of being in the last days. And I think it sounded like, oh, it sounded like there were mission presidents, temple presidents, several hundred stake presidents. And he just said, I will be becoming more bold in the upcoming trainings and stuff we have. So I think we might see a little more boldness. Interesting. Do you yeah. want me to put the clip in? Let's see. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think I might. Sometimes I have a hard time finding them once I've watched them. <laughs> <laughs> my, my YouTube history. Like, wait, where did that come from? I'll go find it real quick. But yeah. And it's at the 55 minute marker. It's a very short little, you know, maybe three or four minutes is all he talks. It's at the very end of their conference. Mm -hmm. And it was it was really cool. I jumped right up and got busy. <laughs> listen to that. I'm like, okay. Um, what conference was that, Tracy? I missed it. If you said, I don't know what conference it was. It, it might have been just somebody's state conference, you know, mm -hmm. in a little ward. It's circulating the internet this morning. <laughs> yeah, I've got to hurry and copy it before it gets taken down because I know. Need to I was thinking that too. They're going to 
because it only had 900 views this when I viewed it. And I'm like, oh, that's going to probably get taken down. <laughs> I found it. All right, now let's see. Yeah, I, I think that it's very interesting how sometimes um, if we are bold, that uh, it becomes kind of this, the same thing that we're talking about today, right? The elitism, Pharisaism, that um, sometimes boldness can be perceived as this, but yet um, as we see kind of a scriptural pattern, especially through the Book of Mormon is a, is a great one, where prophets often have to speak with boldness just to kind of um, shake people awake, but like, hey, I, I, I'm not trying to uh, cause fear or anything, but like I'm speaking boldly here so that there, there's no mincing of words, there's no interpretations or anything that it's just straight to the point. And um, <laughs> it's just interesting how how sometimes that can be uh, even misinterpreted um, if somebody might have a pharisaical type of attitude towards it kind of a thing um as it explains there on 52 and 53 right um where they'll even go to the extent of creating a a scapegoat and and all of those other kind of things um to kind of discredit or take the boldness and uh uh lessen it or take it down a peg kind of a thing i find that a very interesting pattern that we can uh, even apply today and, and recognize right in the world around us that's what I wanted to ask is um, on page 53 he lists he doesn't go one two three but he lists some of the signs of this inaction and predicted through scripture um, that will also happen in the end time church I was going to ask are we seeing any of this now yeah, let's kind of review a, a few little things here. First one was predicted corruption in the end time church. The second one is the people will wax cold because of iniquity. Um, it'd be interesting to kind of break down, unpack waxed cold. And then um, the other one was ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And then the last one was false Christs and prophets. Yeah. Oh, and the last one was that they would hate and betray, almost, which he says is like those that delivered Jesus and his disciples to be persecuted and killed. So those are pretty big indictments. <laughs> they are, right? And yeah. <laughs> uh, oftentimes we, as a restored uh, gospel or a church, uh, tend to think that everything is is. Uh, with our rose-colored glasses, uh, you know, it, we're never going to have difficulties uh, because the Lord has restored it in its uh, complete fullness and uh, everything's going to be good. All is well in Zion, right? <laughs> but right. How, how have people so, so uh, effectively sung themselves to sleep? Mm -hmm. I'm including myself. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> but that goes along with the... Um... Oh, I'm trying to remember where it was on here. Um, I, I think because we get, we get, we get complacent, I guess, um, thinking, thinking that we are God's chosen ones. And, 
and pride creeps in and I think it anyways just as as we are going through the New Testament and looking at the Pharisees and stuff um and their attitude towards you know that 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 attitude that they had of like oh well we are the chosen ones like you can it it does just seem to be a, a pattern you know God's people they get they get prideful they get kind of arrogant around that and um anyways um so yeah I I can't remember he kind of touched on that somewhere and I'm losing it <laughs> so yeah. you know some of the historical markers of what um what um is being just been, been said is that the people had been given the law and this was their history, and this is what God had given them. So they felt there, there was a strong feeling that they were protecting their church, their God, their beliefs. And Jesus was just lying, constantly challenging, turning everything that they thought they believed literally upside down. I mean, when you go into his history and then you go into what Jesus, Jesus's sayings, which on the surface seem one thing, but underneath is a very strong message directed exactly precisely like between the eyes of those people that he was speaking to. He was not soft peddling. Right. He was he was really stirring things up. He was really challenging their traditions. He was in there. I mean, he was yeah. so changing everything that they thought they had that I think they felt extremely threatened, especially the the leaders who depended on the sort of stability of the hierarchy. This was having their whole world turned upside down. And by someone who they didn't think had any authority to do so. You know, that, that was the and other thing. He was thing. a Nazarene, right? Exactly. And so who is he? He doesn't have authority. And again, how, what does that look like for us? You know, because I think that we, I hear that all the time. It's like, and, and and I know I you know I, I'm sure I'm guilty of it too, but just the the only the only voice allowed to anyways that that gets any credence or or validity is you know this small group of men nobody else has any kind of authority to to speak and so if if some just average Joe were to come among someone and, and just say, hey guys, I think we should repent. Let's let's attack them. Let's stone them because they have no authority, right? And right. anyways, it, just these this these parallel attitudes. Yeah, I, I love this invitation to to look and uh anyways hopefully open my eyes <laughs> it, makes you, it really makes you wonder what is going to happen in the end time that is going to threaten people so much that they want to cling to the old and are unable 
to make the shift and the change that they that is coming through light coming from heaven's light whatever that is if it's the sealed books if it's an actually a person that steps onto the world stage whatever it is it makes you wonder what is going to be so threatening to us collectively and individually that there will be so many that cannot make that transition in our time spot on yeah yeah and so we have kind of like little mini steps leading up to that uh before the uh i don't know i don't know if it's one just big monstrous thing or if it's uh, kind of a conglomerate but um it's very interesting how we've witnessed that especially with the uh intense 2020 and and the the polarization of, of the world and, and the church but um how does it, everyone remember like prior to 2020 it was like 2017 2018 when the brethren were really hyper focusing on uh, civil discourse like we can disagree without being disagreeable and we can have discussions and uh striving to protect the right to voice to opinions and uh, religious liberty uh there was there was major pushes all over the church about that and uh even with the the restoration proclamation uh showing that that we have some battles to to face coming up to that but I see it a lot in, in the membership of the church, as well as even amongst um, what we kind of term awake saints, right? Where um, uh, if it doesn't totally jive with what your personal inspiration and, and revelation has been, then it's absolutely wrong and it needs to be cut off and, and burn out kind of a thing. And it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, we have to start labeling you and yeah right that lack of tolerance for people who do not agree with us personally we got a very strong flavor of that as you said during the lockdowns and all the things that were going on at that time it seems like it just bloomed in a very uh unsavory way and i don't know very many people that have not been personally affected mm -hmm. yeah. it was it's almost like it became systemic yeah if you had even an inkling of it that was like an incubator that just uh blossomed it right out it was like we were all in this petri dish and just woof, all of our ugliness came out <laughs> on whatever side you were on kind of thing. it and and that also is a warning that things can shift like in 24 hours it's like something can go viral <laughs> unintended <laughs> yeah so like taking a look at what zion really is is it going to be just a group of um exact replicas of individuals that all think feel and uh, believe the exact same things or is it going to be a conglomerate of lots of different ideas coming together, giving up the elitism uh, in order to, for the greater good, so that we can uh, can become one rather than just actually be kind of mindless, 
mindless oneness. I, I don't know how to turn that or whatever, but uh, sometimes I think we have a little bit of an uh, erroneous idea of what Zion looks like. No, it's going to be all people that think like me <laughs> kind of a thing versus, no, there's going to be people in, in Zion that you might think totally different thoughts with, but yet um, it's all about the attitude of being um, loved ones that you cherish other people's differences and, and work together harmoniously in, um, in a, a group and a collective of, um, of saints who are all striving to um, find truth. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think you're so right. Um, I, and I've, and I've kind of pondered on that. Um, you know, I, I think we will definitely come with a lot of differences and stuff, but I do think, I do think as, as we, you know, the biggest thing for me is we're humble and we're teachable and we're able to, and we're all striving to, to find what is actual truth, which is Christ, you know, and just to really understand that. And, and so I think, I, I just wonder how we evolve together, you know, in love and humility. I do think ultimately we will have a lot more in common than maybe when we started, right? Like, because there is one source of truth, right? And, and yeah, we're still going to be different beings and stuff. But to me, like, as we are there seeking and learning and hopefully shedding all of our, uh, you know, shedding the natural man, shedding the false traditions and beliefs and healing and all of that, that we do actually have end up with a lot more in common you know we're not worried about classifying people into groups and we just do become one and in purpose and all of that yeah, yeah that was yeah. a big symptom of, of like the the lockdowns in 2020 and stuff is now everything is so hyper focused on labels and being unique, being different from everybody, highlighting all of that, rather than highlighting the, the oneness, right? With President Nelson's, um, ooh, Becoming True Millennials, right? Uh, where he said, no, there was another talk uh, to the youth. I'm forgetting the, the title of it, but um, where he's like, the only titles that matter is that you're a child of God, like quit hyper-focusing on all of the other labels focus on that one and in that way we can become one kind of a thing and I don't think yeah for me when I think about what we're talking about I think that the becoming one part is our willingness to care about our neighbor the second great commandment as if they are ourselves in other words we are striving to create um you know to help benefit all those around us to bless them and the being one mind is that we are believers in christ we are anchored in him but having just been recently reading um the apostle paul it makes me think that we will all be the body of christ 
every part, every member of the body is an essential part to be fully functioning as a body in Christ. And in a way, that's what we are striving for within the church, is that every member has a place and a part to play. They may not be identical, the eye from the ear, or you know, the different members, the hands and the feet, but we are all focused and centered on him. We are his body and our hearts are being changed and turned to him. And so to me, that is what um, that is what I think of when I think of what it means to be a Zion people. And our true identity, like Cameron just said, is that we are children of God. And all those other labels we put on ourselves and others fall away. You know, we can shed that. We don't, you know, that's not our concern. And you know, that it's just, it's so interesting how, how useful of a tool that has been of Satan's is, you know, cause we are, we just, you know, we're, we're all trying to find an identity and we, and it's all about our identity and, and how we fit in this world and everything. And we're getting, you know, everything is for consideration except, you know, ignore the fact that you're a child of God and that really our our goal should be striving to truly be you know behave and be that instead of worrying about standing out in some other way so So it's i had an interesting experience yesterday where um the first (laughs) ticket on my shift schedule at the temple uh was to be the assistant officiator which offers the prayer uh at the prayer circle and you know, it, you spend the whole endowment looking um, over the, the audience, trying to, to feel what their needs are collectively on both sides of the veil, and and really trying to, to focus on that. And I was kind of forming my, my words throughout the, the session, but when I got to um, actually kneel, getting ready to pray, I had like this, this uh, image pop in my head of, of Rami Umptum. And, uh, it kind of shocked me right at the beginning. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, whoa. So some of the words that I had prepared were Rami Umptum and not what the Lord needed prayed. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Which is uh, okay. kind of a, a, uh, a shock to your system right away because you're like, oh crap, I'm here. I don't have time to <laughs> of any other words. And so then it comes down to just let it all go and let the spirit fill your words rather than your own mind, your own Pharisaism. And it's not necessarily that my words were intended to be Pharisaic um, uh, or kind of a thing, but uh, after the prayer, I was kind of asking and checking and it said, yes, those were some of the things that some members of the, uh, the, not company, the session, um, were wanting or needing, but some of the others would have felt that and it would have ha- uh, hindered um, their spiritual experience that day. They would have read into it the wrong way. And so it was kind of this like weird collective thing that I hadn't necessarily considered about the prayer circle before. Um, I was listening, but I needed to also be judicious and and blend everything together better in the spirit rather than potentially causing uh, 
a good experience over here and a bad experience over here kind of a thing. So that was like a very important lesson for me as far as what our prayers are, are meant to do and convey that uh, at no time should we ever forget to be unified in, in prayer because we're all saying amen. We're all agreeing to the terms of this covenantal prayer that, that we're offering up and, and it needs to be cohesive. And sometimes you might need to pull something out if it's going to be taken heard wrong or misinterpreted uh, based upon whatever that was. And so when I was reading uh, this chapter today, I was like, oh, it kind of like the whole experience yesterday made me uh, like, it, oh, I get it now. I, I've, I'm still kind of struggling with it. I was like, that was kind of a weird way to teach me that lesson. But um, I think it was a very good object lesson for me to, to understand about the purpose of prayer. Um, because, you know, I, I find that it's very, uh, quite humbling to, to offer a prayer in the temple. And, you know, you're, you're speaking on behalf of a lot of people and um, uh, trying to not just do the standardized prayer that, that everybody offers, but actually have it meaningful. And anyway, it was enough about that. I've, I went on too long, but it was just very interesting uh, what prayers are meant to do. That is interesting timing too, Cameron, because you're having inner, we're having inner growth here, but you're having it manifesting in the outside world in a real concrete way. So that that connection between what we're studying and what you your experience in the temple is interesting timing. Yeah, isn't that weird how everything like God's fingerprint is all over everyone's own individual lesson plan, right? Like how Come Follow Me works in with our book clubs, with extra things that we're learning in, in life. And it's just amazing how all of us have these perfect little lesson plans from the Lord. <laughs> I like that, lesson plans from the Lord. Speaking of lesson plans, I've been called to be a Relief Society teacher. And um, it is such an interesting experience because I want to be able to impart what they need individually and as a group. And yet I get, I feel like I still tell the Lord, I still need crutches. I'm just so like, I get so wobbly when I even contemplate just, you know, kind of just being open to the spirit in the moment. I was like, no, I need, I need a few notes in front of me still. <laughs> so I'm very, very admiring of people who can take that plunge as I lean in that direction, but haven't really immersed myself in it. <laughs> this reminds me of the talk in conference of, um, is it Elder Cook? It's not um, the apostle, but the, I guess he's a, no. a 70. The 70s, yeah. Isn't that what uh, Elder Packer was trying to teach him is like rely on the spirit. Don't just be winging stuff out there, you know. Yeah. If we follow the spirit, we're not going to go wrong. That's true. And yeah. 
one of the things I found is I, because I read the, the conference talk that I'll be preparing for, because it's not like I can just make it up. I, I'm supposed to be teaching somebody's conference talk. So what I've tried to do is be prayerful and really start preparing well ahead of time so that things can come to me and then I can, you know, write that down and, and remember that. So that's the way I've been doing it. If anybody has any other helpful suggestions, I'm, I'm all ears. We got a beautiful, I haven't looked at it yet, but it's called The Teaching in the Savior's Way. And this is for all the Relief Society teachers and, and um, maybe other people too. So I just got that yesterday. I'm looking forward to going through that. This is, this is the Lord giving me an opportunity to become a better teacher. So he's letting me practice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see, what else in, in this chapter stood out to us? So it's interesting where um, we have all of the, the New Testament examples, right, of um, they're on, well, 52, 53, um, but it, it summarizes here on, on 54, that the righteous among them, they will hate and betray, just as the Jews hated and betrayed Jesus and his disciples to the ecclesiastical and political authorities of that day. Um, skip it down. Even as they delivered Jesus and his disciples to be persecuted and killed by their enemies. I find that that's a kind of a sobering one, right? Um, as we're headed into the last days, that um, not to put like Avraham on a pedestal or anything, right? Because that's the last thing he wants. But um, when when you do get ostracized, whether it's warranted, whether it's not, whatever, but um, some had, had delivered him up as kind of an ecclesiastical uh, scapegoat kind of a thing. And uh, then it's rectified and you have to kind of, it affects you, right? <laughs> when, when things are, are so... Um, hurtful and and especially something so public and uh, ostracizing as that, um, and I think that that's very much in line with what Isaiah is teaching. That in the last days we're going to have this as as a trial. Um, uh, we see on the Zion Jerusalem level that there's three tests of loyalty. There's a political test, there's an ecclesiastical test, and there's an idolatry test. And hopefully, after this book, uh, we're all going to be able to ace our, our idolatry tests. But um, anyway, it's just, yikes. Why, why has the Lord set it up this way? Why do we have these awful, difficult moments of misunderstandings um, when, uh, like, why are we called to, to go through such hurtful type of things in order to ascend, become kings and queens, and uh, fulfill our end-time roles? Why do we have to go through such awful descents? <laughs> I don't know. Well, our natural man <laughs> can be overcome. And our, and, and our loyalties being proven, right? Like, that it is God that we are loyal to and not man or ourselves even <laughs> as we said we'd do this and 
have to prove it, not just, you know. Mm -hmm. When you go through a descent, it's awful. It's, I'm just coming out of one from last fall and it's just horrible. It rocks your whole soul. <laughs> Even if a descent lasts for five minutes, it's awful. Yeah. Well, yeah, the health ones, they're, they're terrible right there. Just the constant pain people go through. I was talking to one of my friends and she's got neuropathy in her feet and arthritis everywhere and the constant pain she can get no relief it's just that that you can't even escape really and then those that die those terrible painful cancer deaths they can't escape it it just i i can't even imagine i pray that does not happen to me cuz okay. i through that with both of my parents. Yeah, it's just, wow. Grieved and suffered right alongside them. But then there's the, the humiliations like Avraham went through. And, you know, that does follow him. Because I remember when I first was hearing about Avraham and studying, I'm like, wait, he's been excommunicated, you know, because those those things are not publicly cleared up. You know, you hear it through grapevine type of things, but, and same thing with Michael Rush. He's gone through some terrible humiliations with, you know, job losses and those kind of things. And, but it's all good. Cause you know, they're on the right path cause they're moving on up, you know, but it's, it's just part of the, the pattern we go through. Life is messy. It is so messy. <laughs> My rooster just crowed at that. <laughs> Amen. Did you guys hear him? It's like, wait, he's right here. <laughs> but yeah. Um, one thing that, that popped into my mind, I hadn't really thought of it in that context, but um uh Elder Christofferson, I hope hopefully it's him. I hope I'm crediting the right one. But I talk long ago. I believe it was his mother that had um, the health issues and the laundry press and, and all of that kind of story. Um, but the, the key point of the whole thing was uh, that she was suffering a lot. And um, one thing that really helped her was somebody saying, can you make it through today? If you can make it through the day, you can make it forever because if you're focused on how long you're going to have to endure, it's just going to bog you down. But can you make it through today? Yeah, I can do 24 hours. Okay. Well, that's all you're called to do today. But if you try to take on tomorrow's problems today, then you're going to get mired and, and get not make any progress through things. And that's stuck with me a lot. I, I always think about um, that in not saying that I have like major descents or anything like that, but like, um, whether it's physical or, or otherwise, um, but can I make it through today? Yeah. <laughs> 24 hours is much more manageable than eternity. And so make it through the day. Yeah, I can make it. I like that. Yeah. And so just knowing that, uh, 
our suffering, our persecutions, our tests of loyalty are but for a, a small moment, even if that small moment means our mortal existence. Um, but that we're not made to be miserable beings. Men are that they might have joy. And so joy cometh in the morning and, and we, can, we can do this. Uh, just take one day at a time uh, when kind of all hope is lost and, and things. But um, I think on the flip side of that as well, with elitism, Pharisaism, sometimes we might uh, find that, that this is kind of creeping up in us. Uh, maybe we have a realization one day that, whoa, I need to, to fix this. How do I how do I repair? How do I fix? How do I get this under control? Don't try to tackle eternity all at once. Can I make it through today? Okay. And then the next day, can I make it through that day? Uh, just taking it uh, one day at a time, because uh, I think that that's Satan's greatest tool to help us try to focus uh, outside of now control and our purview kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Like uh, how he uses our perception of time, our linear view of time to bog us down, weigh us down, to damn us, you know, when that's not God's time or God's um, way of being, you know, but that is just such a useful tool to just get mired in the tomorrow and the weight of all that That's that is a tool wow I was just thinking when you said that that how Satan uses that so often think about how many midlife crises in men are them thinking I'm running out of time yeah. I've got to go out and have some good times I'm missing out wow this is happening to my friend Linda right now. Her husband just moved his girlfriend up in the upper house on their property. What? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard stories like that. He's um. I don't know. Like I guess he just lets the pornography play. She can hear it, and her. I teach their little son. He's. He's only, let's see, he's almost 10. Oh. It's impacting him so hard. He's oh, started to grow his hair out. I think he's struggling with his sexual identity. And I was actually really bold. And she was in the workroom on Wednesday. And I was just checking in with her. And she comes into the school and volunteers. And I said something about, you know, worrying about Sam and boy, she did not want to hear it. She's got a lot going on, but I went ahead and said it anyway, just I had to, you know, I'm worried about him. He's mentioned he's fighting, wanting to go to church and, oh, it just breaks my heart. I'm just watching it in real time and it's just awful i don't know what to do some days yeah. we live in the best of times and we also live in the worst of times right like <laughs> oh gosh we have so many different things around us 
But on another note, I did send a Book of Mormon to one of my conspiracy theorist friends, and she promised me she's going to take a look. So I mailed it on Monday. So I'm excited to see what the ripple will be. Well, getting back to one of the other things we were talking about, um, about the suffering question that Cameron brought up, one of the things is we learn so much by contrast, and it, it, when we've gone through these descents and suffered and experienced suffering or witnessed it in other people, when we are delivered through Christ in whatever form that takes, he's always there for us, then we can experience our joys so much more, um, I want to say the word profoundly. It's just, you know, when you've suffered, joy is just so much more intensified. I don't know why it's that sort of strange paradox in life where it, life is full of paradox. But I was even thinking that even when we're suffering, if we're suffering, focusing on Christ, we can still be experiencing joy. And when we're experiencing joy, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, often there's just a little bit of suffering in it. So it's just, it's, I don't know what I'm even trying to say, but I think when we are becoming Christ's, we can um, find joy even in those hard times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, before we go to, to Chelsea, just the that one video, I forget what uh, her name is, but where uh, she experienced the loss of many of, of, of her kids, her husband and stuff. And she said it's kind of like Newton's law there. The, the greater the suffering, the greater the capacity to feel joy. Mm. And um, uh, it, it very much is a kind of balance there, um, an equation, I guess <laughs> you mm. could say. But yeah, Chelsea. So one of the trials that I've kind of recently been facing over the last few years, um, I'm a homeschooler and um, I know Cameron's heard about this a bit, but um, a lot of the Christian homeschoolers have a serious issue with our religion. And I know that extends outside of the homeschool realm, but it's very intense within the homeschool realm. And I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of women recently. Um, and in fact, like the Come Follow Me, I, I felt so much empathy towards Christ as I was going through this, just because there was um, like so much Phariseeism coming from these evangelical Protestant Christians. Um, I was in that second paragraph where it says Pharisaic persons display a form of godliness that lacks the power thereof. They harbor a presumptuousness about being a chosen and elect people. They consider their humble brethren, a lost and fallen people to be despised as lesser mortals. And that's exactly how they look at us. Um, one of the women I was discussing with, um, I was asking her like, why, why do you think that they treat us so terribly? And she's like, well, they already believe that you're going to hell. And so, um, I don't know. I guess you can only come up from there. And so it's just this, this mindset that we are fallen. We are confused. We believe lies. We're part of a cult. Mm -hmm. We're in hell. We're in spiritual damnation. Um, and so it changes their treatment of us. And so throughout this journey, it's just given me this whole world of empathy. Um, and the fact that I 
ever want to be the type of person that makes someone else feel that way. I do not ever want to be in a position where someone else thinks that I think I'm better than, or I think I'm chosen in some way. Um, and it's, it's pushed me into this whole realm of now wanting to do this whole interfaith um, relationships and build these meaningful connections and like watching um, Hello Saints and seeing like what an impact he's making between the different groups. It's like, how can I put into that? And so I think that a lot of times our trials can push us into, you know, some of our missions and some of our ministries and things that we need to do because we felt what it feels like to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that, that, that empathy and, and everything, you know, if, if you were to ask me like even a year ago, <laughs> but like 10 years ago, uh, what I thought of, uh, an eternal perspective as far as ordinances go and, uh, things with, with other faiths and, and things, um, I had a, a very much different answer, but, um, I, I'm finding more and more that that's a, a very pharisaical type of way to, to look at things that, um, yes, we do know, and we have doctrine that baptism is the, the gate to heaven, right? Uh, you know, like we all need that ordinance, but if we're shoving it down people's throats, it might not be the best approach, right? And, uh, even though it's a, a true doctrine, um, that might not be the, the thing to lead with or to, to, to keep bringing up that the others might be wrong. And, and like you were saying, with uh, kind of an outreach to evangelicals in a very specific niche of, of homeschooling, uh, if, if they already think you're in hell, they're going to treat you like you're in hell and they, you're a lesser form of, of being and stuff. And likewise, on the other foot, if we believe that everybody that's not baptized is going to hell, then sometimes we we tend as Latter-day Saints to treat people lesser because they don't have that baptism or they're not wanting our specific type of baptism. So it, it might not be the best thing to lead off with, <laughs> uh, you know, cross that bridge when it comes to it, if it ever uh, comes to that, but still being civil and and very respectful of wherever people are at. And um, it's all about covenant making and keeping with God. And if that happens to be in a paradigm of somebody else's religious context, as long as you're helping them keep commandments and encouraging them to, uh, to get right with God, uh, maybe that doesn't require baptism right off the bat or maybe even in this life kind of a thing, but uh, taking them wherever they're at and loving them to their fullest extent. I, I love that, that sentiment that you're uh, experiencing uh, there with, with empathy. I have a, a scripture that I've written in my scriptures from Brother Packer, and it's a simple sentence. The gospel is meant to bring joy. If you don't have joy, then repent. Sometimes we're too often wanting to teach principles and teach uh, things instead of just being joyful of where we're at and who we're with. And if we have that joy personally, People see that. 
people feel that and they will see it and feel it much faster than they will us giving them a lecture about baptism or ordinances. So I, I just have that in my scriptures and I look at it all the time. And if I'm not joyful, I need to, I need to repent because that's what it's all about. I love that. <laughs> if you're not joyful, you need to repent. Uh, and that repentance sometimes is daily, hourly, or minutely, right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Lisa. So um, I wanted to share an interesting interfaith experience. When I was living in Saudi Arabia, which just to give you a context, the whole land is considered like the equivalent of our temple. It's considered holy ground. And so as a Western non-believer, non-Muslim, it's a concession for us to be there. So we have a lot of rules that allow us to be there. And um, I had an acquaintance who was a school teacher there, and she would teach in the schools within the community, mostly adolescent uh, girls. She never taught any boys because of the way they structure their, their society. And when, and the young girls loved her so much, even though she was of a different faith, that their approach, um, rather than demonizing her for being different and being Christian, was that they were so concerned about her soul that they wanted to share their faith with her so that they didn't have to think about her suffering in the afterlife. And I thought, what? What a beautiful way to be motivated to share what you have just through your concern for the welfare of another person. And so that always stood out to me since I know that so many people of the Muslim faith are often characterized, you know, according to certain norms. So I thought that was very, a very beautiful story. And then I had another comment. Uh, within our own ranks and within our own families, I have observed people being, I'm going to use the word again, demonized, simply for not behaving. And I think that's part of the hypocrisy um, of the, the Pharisees or the Phariseeism is that it's based on behavior and outward appearances, almost like they're actors on a stage. And it's very superficial. And I have observed, you know, even within the church, people being concerned about people's behaviors and then ostracizing them if they're not behaving the way they think they should. So there's a lot, um, there is a lot to consider about how deep and how systemic um, some of these hypocrisies can be mm -hmm. and where they could take people. So. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Behavior is is a huge thing. Uh, sometimes we have like cultural behavioral things. Sometimes we have just, um, I don't know. It, we we bring so many different things to the to the melting pot of of, of church and and things. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just gonna say we can learn a lot from the Pharisees. Because what happened to them, they were puffed up and, and 
that they didn't recognize Christ when he came. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah or anywhere close. And I think we have to be careful of that same thing. Are we going to recognize Jesus Christ when he comes? You know, it's, have we got false ideas about things, you know? Anyway, I think we have a lot to learn from the Pharisees because they were trying to live the law and stuff, but they were puffed up and they got too caught up in themselves. And anyway, they missed the boat. They, and I think we have, in fact, we've been told we're in danger of, of not recognizing Christ when he comes if if we're not careful. And like the, the Savior's admonition, I guess, but if you are not one, you are not mine. Like, that's the one thing. Uh, love God, love your neighbor. If you're not one, you're not mine. When I come, if your hearts aren't turned, if they're not planted properly, the whole earth can be utterly wasted with a curse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of all comes down like most of the idolatry here kind of boils down to an an elitist uh, kind of purview. It almost seems like. Yeah, I think this whole idea that we have to um, go through humiliation to to be able to ascend. It what is humiliation? It's just being humbled. You know, being humbled is a good thing. You know? Yeah. Good practice turning the other cheek. All right, hit me again. Yeah. <laughs> and and tolerance for other people's ideas. And, you know, we get. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, uh, Flora in the chat uh, talks about the opposition in all things. And then, yes, you can find joy in the hard and a little hard in the good, too. Uh, it's a very interesting principle of, uh, of that that we learn in Eden, right? And it's an interesting <laughs> dichotomy in, in our life. Like I said, life is messy. <laughs> Just so messy. <laughs> Just embracing it, taking one day at a time. <laughs> yes, I like that one day, making it through one day. I think it's, you know, you're on the right track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if it's not hard, you know you're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we did not get to a pollution of the temple. So I'm shocked not. <laughs> Stephen has his hand up. Too. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, in uh, the early 90s, we lived in uh, south of Buffalo, New York, and uh, we had attended a small branch in a little place called Arcade, New York. And thinking about it now, it's probably maybe smaller than Malta, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of little villages. I think there must be 10,000 villages in New York, upper, upstate New York, but Anyway, they uh, 
it had it had a small building. I think it was about like a quarter of a of a church building, and they had movable partitions that went in the chapels to make uh, classrooms mm -hmm. after sacrament meeting. But it was a lot of the people in there were farmers, and they came in bib overalls and boots to church. You know, it was all clean, and it was their best. But really, really nice, down to earth people. But when we moved, when we first went there, there was a couple from, and I don't want to besmirch anybody, but they were from Utah <laughs> and <laughs> Salt Lake. And they were all dressed up, you know, to the nines. And we walked in and they said, oh, finally, someone like us. <laughs> and we thought, ooh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the branch president orders orchestrated a uh, tour for us of the of the church sites, you know, Palmyra and the, oh, all that area, and uh, yeah, it was really great. We kind of caravaned in vehicles and, and went to all these sites. It was they were just great people. Yeah, so. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So for next week, we'll, we'll have one more week on uh, chapter 14, uh, the pollution of the temple. This one's, this one's interesting. It's basically just a one pager. Um, but I think in, uh, it, it's a very important topic to uh, give enough time for, or else I just kind of, you know, take another five minutes. But um, uh, the pollution of the temple, uh, meeting houses, etc. So yeah, we'll we'll cover that one next week, and then we'll uh, start in with the the dreams, visions, and near death experiences series uh, from Abraham. But um, yeah, but like remind always, everybody about Tuesday, Abraham. Oh, thank you. That's one job as a moderator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Tuesday, this next Tuesday, seven p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, is Avraham's Q&A. So they try to do it quarterly-ish. Um, but yeah, so next Tuesday, uh, everyone will receive uh, an email link. Um, they did do it interesting this time. Uh, if if you never showed up for a book club, or if you only attended like once, uh, then they cut you off the list and you can't attend the, the Q&As. So uh, because many of them were just signing up for book clubs and taking people's spots, just so they could attend the, the Q&As. So just a, a word of warning in the future, at least attend up to. <laughs> I got my link, so they sh they're coming out. All right, yeah. I got mine last night. I have a quick question, Cameron, on Tuesday. Um, if a person comes in a little late, is there still gonna be room? Because I have a Relief Society meeting that's supposed to end at seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, six to seven. So the the entire meeting there, you'll have like two or three moderators that will be uh, letting people in the room. Uh, but if you're wanting to ask a question, I would probably send it to Rachel ahead of time. Um, and that way, because she's got a list of, of email submitted questions uh, that she's going to be interspersing in there. Uh, if you're wanting to like come late and raise your hand, it might be kind of tricky to get that answered uh, there might be a long line kind of a thing but yes we'll we'll still let people in uh, clear up until the last minute 
Okay, thank you. Yep. All right, any other comments, questions before we head out? <laughs> I tell you, I, I had no idea that this book was going to be one of my favorites. It was just like this little thing. It was like, eh, it's only, I, I had it down to four weeks. <laughs> It'll be a really easy breeze. <laughs> we're, we're just way more idolatrous than we realized. Exactly. I don't know how to shake you guys off. <laughs> yeah, it's a heavy hitter. Yeah. A little book, but a heavy hitter. Very eye-opening. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I'm thankful for it. I can't wait for what's next. <laughs> Hit us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you said, uh, it's interesting. Every single chapter has been very applicable each week with uh, the Lord teaching lessons and uh, how it all weaves in there and stuff. So I know we were in the, the right place at the right time. Because yeah, we're all going to climb down from our ramiumptums today yep. now. <laughs> for sure i'm not joking seriously yeah, not <laughs> yeah i was at a synagogue last night i don't know if somebody uh, some of oh, you yeah. whatever but it was very interesting how um they were so open and weren't um they were expecting me to be more ramiumptum kind of thing because some of their past experiences with like missionaries and, and different things um, but it was very interesting, just a, a nice conversation about uh, differences and similarities and, and stuff. But yeah. Where did you go, Cameron? I, I'm, I feel like I'm coming in on a conversation late. Um, I don't remember. It, it was probably our Hebrew class or something. I don't know. I just mentioned that I was uh, going to, to synagogue uh, yesterday. But okay. yeah, in, in Pocatello is our nearest one. So it's kind of a tricky one because I work in the temple on on Friday and so I have to to make the trek from Twin Falls to Pocatello really quick uh, to get over there for their Shabbat service but it won't be my last time because that was so fun oh my goodness if you guys have an opportunity to, to go to a Shabbat service or anything really um I learned so much and especially with like our Hebrew words that we're learning and stuff it was so fun to be starting to hear them in context and mm -hmm. uh, be singing them in in hymns You're like oh I know that one I know that one yeah exactly <laughs> and um when they they hoisted the the Torah out of the the ark and and we're reading the Torah portion and, and things um we were reading uh Leviticus uh kind of the menstruation chapters and stuff and uh, it was very interesting because I knew a lot of words in wow. there that I had no idea that I would be recognizing and, and pulling out and stuff and so wow. it was just so fun uh there was lots of things that I was doing wrong <laughs> like just one example I don't want to like take everybody's time but like um so uh they I was asking information like how can I get a schedule and stuff and they're like oh well you can sign up for our newsletter and so I seen like the newsletter sign up but there was no pens around or whatever. And so I looked over in this like uh, box or whatever and I did it and and he was like, oh no. He let me write it, but he's like, we don't do acts of creation on, on the Sabbath. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. oh, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Like there's just so much to learn with a different kind of culture in my huh? Anyway, it was just so fun. And they were like, where's Malta at or whatever? And I found that there's a great place in my backyard, City of Rocks, because a lot of people have heard of it. But I don't know. It's like, it means kind of nothing to me, but 
<laughs> Everybody knows where City of Rocks at. All the Jews have been there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Very interesting. I had no idea. But anyway, random <laughs> story. That's awesome. That is so interesting. You'll have to find out more. I would be interested in knowing how they observe the Sabbath day. Oh, yes. And you know, whether they prepare their food ahead and so that they're not cooking on the Sabbath. I mean, I'd be very interested in learning more. Yeah. So no acts of creation uh, at all. Um, so they can, leftovers well, like this group. Um, so like they make their challah bread and everything the day prior and, and all of that. So like Shabbat starts at sundown. That's right. On Friday. Mm -hmm. So they have all Friday that they can make it um, and then just bring it to the service. But the whole next day, they can't slice the bread. They can't do any acts of creation uh, during that day because it's Did a they day. They bring the food together and they eat together at the service. Uh huh. Yeah. So you partake of the meal with them then. Uh huh. Yeah. So we had like our our blessing on the challah bread and the blessing on the wine and grape juice and the fancy spread, and they had lots of different kosher type of snacks kind of a thing i mean it wasn't like a full meal on a friday night uh but they do on their their sabbath day uh have full meals where everybody's prepared it the day before and come and just partake and right that's what i used to do in studio city i used to prepare a shabbat meal for a family every week and but i was always in the kitchen <laughs> oh. <laughs> like i could kind of hear you know the sort of beautiful rhythm of different things happening and I'd always be listening but it, I didn't really get to pick up very much because I, I had plenty to do <laughs> it's okay to have your gentile working for you <laughs> <laughs> and I worked for other families too <laughs> and they'd always be really sweet well Lisa's gonna make our you know special whatever meal <laughs> that's awesome times I'd never done it before I was such a novice but they trusted me and they trusted how I how I was in the kitchen I was always very mindful and very careful about what I did and lots of times I would say a prayer before I would prepare food for other people so the people that I worked for, for were always very grateful to have me <laughs> I made the mistake of calling myself the one thing though that the, the the Jewish people are much like a lot of people. There's no one Jewish way of doing it. You can go to Studio City and go to a, uh, a synagogue there, and it's done one way. You go to Newhall, and it's done a different way. They have very conservative and they have very liberal congregations, and depending on those, their their liberalness or their conservativeness, uh, they do or don't do many things. So, you know, it's sometimes even people come to our church and then they get a bad experience or they get a really good experience, but they think that that experience is everywhere in the church. And, and it always isn't. Sometimes you just have a bad day or whatever. But I grew up with the Jewish people and and I went to Shabbat a lot. You found that there's a variety in, in their congregations as there is in, in many churches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
and I, I think it's just so interesting to to get to know them and uh, in in all of their different uh, things. Um, so, like the the group, just to for context or whatever, uh, this one is a reformed. Uh, they that's what they consider themselves as re reformed uh, Judaists. Um, so they're not like super orthodox, but um, the whole service. Uh, they were explaining some of the difference between them and more orthodox uh, ways of, of doing something. Um, there was a lot of guests there last night, and so they were heavily explaining many of the different things. So what you're going to see here may be different from what you see over in such and such a place kind of a thing. And so, yeah, it was uh, highlighting a lot of those, those kind of differences. But yeah, <laughs> it's interesting within our, our own congregations, right? Uh, even though we have very similar things, but uh, yeah, you can have wildly different experiences from, from one ward to another, or who knows what. Cameron, I think our last guest speaker, the one that helped us through um, our Passover observances, I think that it was a reformist um, rabbi that he was uh, being taught by in his youth, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. I'll have to uh, go back to his book and... and uh read some of that and stuff because I, I don't know I just didn't even understand some of that when I was reading his uh, the burning book um, but yeah now I'm my curiosity peaked and I, I love uh, finding out all of those nuances and things um, yeah anything else uh, before we head out as, yeah. as you when you got home last night and pick up your doggy and he was telling me about it I couldn't help but think how welcoming they were as a group you know are we that friendly and and make people feel welcome like that when they're visiting us I don't know anyway they yeah, were kind of like that empathy thing that we were talking about earlier and stuff like mm -hmm. it made me want to be that person right yeah yeah. All right. Awesome. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll uh, do chapter 14 next week. <laughs> <Okay>. See y'all. <ya. laughs> See you. Bye.